Hey guys, this is Paula Rhodes, and I happen to play Evelyn in Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. And when I'm not searching for a mommy, I'm listening to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Would you be my mommy? Trick or treat. <laughs> Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast, your favorite podcast about your favorite video game. We're the number one survival horror podcast on iTunes, and here's why. We're going trick-or-treating, and of course, there really is only one child to accompany us, Resident Evil's creepiest kid, the tragically haunting Evelyn, in critically acclaimed Resident Evil 7. And, also, actor for Myra Hansen in Shinji Mikami's other survival horror classic, The Evil Within 2. Yes, tonight's star guest on this Halloween special of the Crimson Head Elder podcast, the multi-award winning Paula Rhodes. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty awesome intro. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure to have you and so kind as well to join us so soon after the release of Resident Evil 7. Thank you. Of course. I guess it's even sooner, I guess, after the uh, Evil Within 2. Yeah, that was a fantastic surprise to hear that you were in that as well, because, of course, you, you quite rightly kept that secret from us. <laughs> from your point of view, though, unfortunately, when I did find that out, the uh, interview time that we want to have you for kind of doubled. And to be clear, I did not voice Mira. I just, uh, I did the facial capture, which is a really odd new skill of having to do the lip syncing to the other actor's vocal performance and doing all of the like expressions and emotional life for the character. You've not done facial capture before. I imagine there were particular challenges with that as opposed to with the Evelyn delivery. Yeah, it's definitely a new skill. And it's not something that they do for every game. A lot of times they'll, you know, capture them all at the same time as we did for, for Resident Evil, wearing the cameras and the dots on your face and everything else as you record. So they kind of already have all of that data to play with um, when they're making the game. So yeah, new skill set, uh, not something that's always done for games, but it was really fun to, to learn. And I guess it was sort of funny in that I was about six and seven months pregnant um, doing oh, wow. that one. Both Evelyn and Mira, um, spoilers if they haven't played the games, have some big battles and they both turn into huge giants covered in goo, different <laughs> color goo. Mind you, but, yeah. uh, but it's, like, there's a pattern to these video yeah, games. You're... It, it was just a funny, like, I wonder if this is a niche for me. But one of the producers had said something about perfect face for this. And he, it was a little bit lost in translation, I think was trying to be complimentary, but the way he actually said it sounded something like, you make a great monster. And when you're eight months <laughs> pregnant and feeling massive anyway, you're just like, great, thank you. Oh, that's the last thing you want to hear. They meant it complimentary. It was wonderful. It was just a funny, like, 
Good. Great. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic monster. Yeah, and a, and a sort of a, a worrying pattern to your choice of video games with what, what happens to your character at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I make many sequels. <laughs> yes, you're going to have to look into that for your resume. Make yeah. sure you survive till the end and then there's always the chance because that, that's so unfortunate. We'll come on to that. Your performance as Evelyn in Resident Evil 7 is, is spectacular and it would have been fantastic to have seen that character continue and to have had you in the Resident Evil series again and to enjoy your performance. We get these fantastic, iconic antagonists often just killed off too quickly that, and, and never see again. Well, you know, they can always do prequels or spinoffs and otherwise, so you never know. But yes, I, yes, it does seem to be a particular talent I have for picking things that just kill me off. I should have a death reel or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Talking about the challenges of doing the facial capture, moving on to Evelyn, I would imagine surely challenging enough developing a cadence for the strength of emotions expressed by your character in Resident Evil 7 had she been an adult. But to do so for a child, as Evelyn was, uh, that must have been considerably more so. There's a certain amount of just kind of instinct and magic that comes in when you're picking a voice for a character. Uh, I'm sure some people deal more A-brain with it or, you know, really plot it out as far as cadence and things. For me, a lot of times it's just sort of a zeroing in on an age. And, you know, for children's characters, I've already been all of those ages because I am an adult, an ancient, ancient adult, and sort of kind of locking into that and just whatever comes out naturally from what I remember or feel from those ages. And for for kids, there's such a, a pureness to every emotion they feel. And I think also remembering for, for villains, I think an acting teacher told me this long ago, but it, it's always helped me with anybody that's maybe not the protagonist is that nobody's the villain in their own mind. Nobody's really the mustache twisting, you know, for the most part. I mean, maybe there's a cartoon or two where you are, but usually you are the hero of your own story and you're uh, right in your own mind. And so just finding the reasoning for all a character's actions, especially in a very pure child's form, kind of throws out all the the super plotting required and it kind of just makes a, a voice and a delivery come out. That's quite a poignant point, particularly from Evelyn's point of view, that she wasn't, um, you know, in her mind, she wasn't the enemy. She, she wasn't a bad person. And that's really sort of tragically emphasized at the very end with the line delivered by the, the actress who played the sort of the senior Evelyn. Why does everybody hate me? And, yeah. and it's really quite, it's re- really sad. So it's, it's great to hear you pick that point because it definitely resonates in your delivery that Evelyn feels very much a, a tragic and, and you can hear that confusion when you're having those, those interjections with Katie O'Hagan, who played Mia Winters. Yeah, she just wants a family. I mean, every character at the very heart of them is seeking love of some sort, whether, you know, it's love of belonging, group love, parent love is a very common one. We all have that inside of us on some level. You kind of develop it around like often whatever's a little bit lacking is what you really seek for the rest of your life right then. (laughs) It's a weird psychological thing that I think, uh, well, actually I learned in acting classes years and years ago. Um, So if you can zero in on that, whatever that character's basic need is and kind of relate to it because we all have our own basic needs, it it makes things more real. So yeah, for her, as I think you've probably covered in previous things, we don't always know when we're auditioning for a video game. In fact, 99% of the time don't know what game it is, yeah. nor how big a character it's going to be. Often not even if you are a villain or not. <laughs> Sometimes it's just 
a character. And when I got this particular audition, it was just a little girl. And I think originally they wanted her Cajun, so I had a different accent in all things. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. They weren't sure if they were going to go with an accent or not. So I, I had one. And I mean, the, the funny thing about this particular audition is it was, it came in when I uh, was just having my first son. I was literally still in the hospital and my wow. epidural had not worn off. And I oh answered the phone book, a number very similar to my uh, family, a family members, and <laughs> turned out to be setting up this audition for just a video game was all I knew, a motion capture. And uh, it's awesome. I I can't come in tomorrow. <laughs> or, <laughs> I was like, well, I just I just had a, a baby. And they're like, oh, how old are they? And they're like, oh, th- uh, three, three hours or so. And they're like, what? Why are you answering the phone? So I want it. You're having your own family <laughs> to play and to play this character that's so desperate for one. It was a hoot, but they were terribly understanding and, and parents as well. So they, they were like, come in in two, two or th- three weeks and uh, not a problem at all. Uh, I ended up my baby and my husband with me and they kind of, you know, got to watch this audition. <laughs> and essentially, I think the fact that I'm five feet tall and or 12 year old sized ish uh, really is what they, they <laughs> needed because for the motion capture, height is sort of the, the key. They can change a lot of other things, but heights. Yes. I take your point, but far more important that you're you're capable of doing that delivery of the lines though as well. True, yes, I'm, I'm sure that that helps. Yeah. <laughs> but they uh, they really wanted to see, I think, all of the the right sized people yeah. for this. But I, I walked out of there thinking that I definitely did not book it. I had no idea what game it was. Yeah, I walked out of there because they had me try her lines as, and then after we did the scene as Evelyn, uh, they they had me just switch, kind of just to see what I'd do with the last minute change and play the other character in the scene whose lines I didn't memorize. I was like, Oh yeah, let's try it. Sure. Um, So I uh, went with it, but I walked out of there thinking like, wow, that was a horrible audition. I was not good at all. Were you aware already of the Resident Evil series beforehand? I don't think you were a gamer, were you? Uh, I'm not a gamer because I have a terribly addictive personality to things that I'd like really get into and gaming it was briefly one of them okay uh, i really wanted wanted to grow up to be an elf i think and so when gaming first kind of came out it was like yes this is amazing i can live my life as an elf i want to say it was like Baldur's gate or one of those and yeah. i was playing it for probably like three days straight oh and then emerged God. dark cave of like wow i what is wrong with me i need a life this cannot happen again <laughs> so i put myself off much like addicts need to uh yeah yes. so not Terribly into gaming, though I did know this particular series because my friends Chris Emerson, who played Pierce, I think Nevins is the name in the previous one, and oh yes, yes, and another friend Sarah Fletcher played uh, Sherry Birkin, the one right before this. So I'd known sort of their experiences, okay, as well as obviously the movies and things, um, which are yeah. not the game canon. I'm aware, but <laughs> putting that little exception on there that you just said is just gonna your your cool status amongst the Resident Evil fans is just gonna go through the roof because. Uh, let's just say they're not particularly popular with the fans uh, as being official so so wonderful to hear you even say that um (laughs) once i found out which game it was yeah to kind of understand it i kind of backed off researching too much but after i got a little bit into it because i realized for this particular character it's almost better if i didn't have a, a super great understanding of the world yeah but there's so much to it. There's like rabbit hole after rabbit hole to fall down. <laughs> Tell me about it. I've got about sort of four different versions of each game and I'll spare you the, the heated arguments that we have in the forums about the backstories <laughs> and, and the intricate plots and 
I'm also going to spare our listeners me just completely nerding out and, and telling it's <laughs> I too had ambitions to be legless in Lord of the Rings um, nice. along with being a professional footballer that just wasn't going to happen my son thinks it's very sad that I changed my Xbox Live name from something that was related to Resident Evil to Snow Elf when Skyrim, <laughs> the latest edition of Skyrim came out. Yeah, one day I'd love to join you in Elfland. Can, <laughs> yeah, not necessarily with Elves, but very much in, in that kind of realm of fantasy. You're the star of the new adventures of Peter and Wendy. <laughs> I am. Well, one of them, anyway, the obviously uh, star star being Peter, played by our creator, one of our co-creators, Kyle Walters. Yeah, I had this amazing opportunity to uh, dive into the world of web series, I guess, about in 2007 or so, right when they were kind of just slightly being taken seriously. And I have found some of my best friends in that community and indie filmmakers in general have come out of that. And I've been really lucky to be a part of that that little group out here in LA, which is now a huge, massive, crazy yes, international absolutely. group. But this particular one, it just came up and I saw a posting for um, a modernized Peter Pan tale produced by a friend of mine, uh, Jenny Powell, who had won an Emmy for her work previously in web series stuff. I was like, oh, well, I have to have to be a part of this somehow. And how amazing would it be to play an iconic character like Wendy Darling? I got to play Dor in the West Coast premiere here in the U.S. of Neverwhere, Neil Gaiman's play. And I, I get to play Skipper and Stacy for Barbie Life in the Dreamhouse. So I was just like, okay, I must, I must go after Wendy. And um, I had stellar auditions and a, a lot of fun with it and ended up being cast as Wendy and playing her the first season and then coming on board as a producer for the second and third seasons. And it's been, we just finished the, the third one, which is the, the final, like closes off the book, basically. Just a dream come true. We call it the Pan Fam because everybody's become so close and it's such a fantastic the fans, transmedia uh, and role playing that have joined in and this little town of Neverwhere, Ohio that we've created online. And it's fantastic. I highly recommend people check it out. It's all on newpeterwendy.com that has links to everything. I've gotten to play in some really cool worlds and, you know, Resident Evil definitely among them. It, it was funny to find out that that was the world I was playing in. As I mentioned, you never know which game it is. And sometimes you don't even find out until the day it comes out, which yeah. happened to me like Grand Theft Auto 5. I think I got a call saying, hey, your game's out today. And I was like, cool. What game was it? And they told me. <laughs> I think yeah. Final Fantasy, that happened too for the Class Zero. But this particular one came out during a table read. I think a producer let it slip or something. And we all kind of like whispered together later, like, did this say Resident Evil? Is that what this is? During our interview with Katie O'Hagan, who plays Mia Winters, she mentioned that no one was aware at all of what video game it was. And then I think at one of the table scenes, one of the, the higher ups mentioned the Umbrella Corporation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then all the, all the whispering started. And I don't know if you got, if, if you ever saw that guy again, you know, if he was given his marching orders. I think, I think it, was, it was one of the higher, higher ups. So I think yeah. he was okay, if I remember correctly. <laughs> But, but yeah, and that was actually my first table read. So I was just coming into this. They'd already been working together for a year at that point. Yeah. And as my character wasn't uh, really as big as a lot of the other ones, or, or at least in the recording requirements, uh, yes. it was it was kind of amazingly cool to get thrown into this and then be like, oh, cool. Am I just like a little side thing? And they're like, well, no, you have this big boss battle. And I was like, oh, <laughs> but okay, that's cool. But that's interesting you mentioned about perhaps not having as many lines to deliver as the other characters because testament to your delivery that it reminded me of another tragic antagonist, a character, Alexia Ashford. And again, with, with her character, 
there aren't as many lines as may be delivered by other antagonists in the past or the protagonist from that particular game. But the character and the performance really resonates and sticks with you. And as with her, I, I discovered with you that I, I actually thought that you had delivered many more lines than you actually did in the game. And that's, I think, because the character feels so developed and so rounded. And, and when you are delivering fewer lines, they're still hitting really hard. And as a gamer, they really are resonating with us. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. I mean, we had a great director and Naveed uh, on set with us. So, so we had a lot of help there too. And I was blown away with the level of performance of all the actors in this particular project, which this was my first foray into to mocap. I've gotten to do some since, but it was mind blowing to see the complete level of imagination you have to have in this thing when you're going through these, you know, life or death situations with super urgency and you have to really deliver it in a realistic way but you are wearing spandex and dots all over your face and the camera <laughs> off your head. And you're trying to run up a set of stairs that don't have railings, but still go 10 feet high or like, uh, <laughs> you know, opening a door that is really just a two by four held by a, a person. Like there, <laughs> it requires, a, you know, a new level of imaginative play. And it was, it was fascinating and exciting to see them start to work and, and see where their level, their bar was. I was like, okay, let's do this. These people are awesome. Which if, <laughs> Even one wheel isn't quite as strong. It can make the whole machine kind of wobbly, but, um, but they were all just stellar to work with. Are you remembering? What? What are you? <laughs> I've done 813, which is a horror zombie survival show, uh, web series by Tracy King. And let's see what else. Scary, scary, scary. Oh, I remember. It's called Night Terror. Yes, Night Terror. It was a, a super short. Stephanie Thorpe produced, uh, who I've gotten to, to work with as a producing partner before, and she's fantastic to work with. These little scares, which were super, were fun. It's a kind of micro budget. Yeah, it was, it was fun to work with her and, and that team. Now, finding yourself as the very temperamental child personification of this iconic series, latest B.O.W., must have been a daunting prospect. But you do have a significant body of theatrical, television and film work, not to mention your professional training by highly acclaimed acting coach Susan Batson. Paula, was there anything in that long list of acting credits that particularly helped you for such an unusual and potentially esoteric role? You know, I don't know that I, I even let it sink in that it was a, uh, as big a franchise as it is uh, at the time. You kind of just focus at the, the task at hand yes. of just bringing the character to life. Um, of course, this is over the course of, you know, many months because they just kind of call you in for a session and then you hear the next month or next week or so. So it's a unique prospect versus, uh, just a film where you kind of shoot it all at once or over the course of a month or so. I think in a way, every single, role one has before the next role kind of all mashes together to help you get to the next ladder, next uh, rung in the ladder, yes. I guess, of, of your, your performance, I hope. Although it's sort of a funny mishmash. I mean, if I'm looking at things from the Barbie universe mixed in with Monster High and this. <laughs> <laughs> it almost felt unfair asking you that question, you know, uh, in terms of how particular this this character is, because uh, I'm sure you've not you've not had to play sort of temperamental B.O.W.s before. I yeah, haven't done too many <laughs> evil things i've done some like mean girls and some especially voice wise and i've done a villain or two i get to be a villain in disney's bunked which is a, a summer camp tv show it's super fun yes. and that was 
definitely out of my uh, comfort zone because they originally were casting the character in her 50s, and I am not in my 50s. <laughs> um, so I guess maybe it's sort of everything that's wrong with Hollywood in a way, but they had me on a veil for a different show and then brought me in the next week. I was like, are, are you sure they got me for the right role? Okay, you know what? Let's just do it. So I kind of went um, all out with this super yeah. character, crazy lady in the woods capturing children. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that must have been a lot of fun. Oh, oh, it was a hoot. And I think I did her with a, a British accent the first time. I ended up booking it. And then they, they changed her as we went throughout the week, uh, trying to find like just exactly where to land her. <sighs> Why do you guys across the pond always get to do English accents? You know, the, the more meaner and evil they want you, your characters to be, the more English your accent has to be. Actually, if you look at most of the villains on US TV, they're all English actors playing, playing American accents. So we, yeah. we feel just the same. We're like, oh, these British people are coming over and just taking our roles. Well, also Australians. We have a lot of Aussies here too. But <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so, so it's, it's just accent envy, I guess. Yeah. You guys sound smarter and or like capable of plotting things, I suppose. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we did away with the accent over the time. They ended up being like, you know what? We're just going to go balls to the wall and make her like 70. And I was like, okay, okay. sure. <laughs> this crazy, you know, huge gray Gibson girl wig on. And it was yeah. a, a blast. Kids on there are so talented and I don't know how they do it. We'd get new scripts every single night by the 7 a.m. start of rehearsal. The next day you had to have it pretty much memorized. Yeah. But but fun, and it's awesome to see it all the time and or get texts and messages from friends all over the country saying, oh my gosh, we just saw you on Disney. <laughs> Again with Resident Evil, when your friends and family discovered that you were Evelyn. At least my older members of my family aren't aware of the gaming universe as much. They're still like, oh, are you playing that, that Mario Kart thing with the, yeah? Uh, <laughs> so they don't, they're not really up in the gaming world for the most part, other than my younger relatives, like cousins yeah. and things. I'm starting to get that from other kids because a lot of the <laughs> young girl stuff, uh, the Barbie or the Monster High stuff, I have some cool cred with them now. Oh, yes. um, so I'm excited to see when it starts to hit for my for my boys. So yeah, but right now they just think it's hilarious that mommy does funny voices, or at least the two-year-old does. Oh, I'm I like, bet. no, no, mommy's not really burning alive or she's not really a gremlin. I'm just, <laughs> you, can, you can stand here if you're quiet. Oh, brilliant. And what's interesting, I wonder if that's a skill passed on. I think in a way... There probably is something to that because I accredit it to my dad who always read books to me every night in character voices. Like he would pick a different voice for each one oh. and or each character within the story. And, you know, we went through all the classics and all sorts of sci-fi and all sorts of Oh, wow. Everything, oh, he put more, far more production levels into it than my parents did when they were reading. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And so I guess I always, uh, and I'd always done that when I would read books to friends or if I was, you know, the older mentor in school reading it to kids. Yeah, it's sort of that's different. lovely. So, it's come in handy for sure. <laughs> Although, yeah, oh, wow. you know, there's only so many that I can get cast with on camera. Certain accents you're like, um, no, honey, you are not that. But <laughs> but, the, but it does come in handy. I got to use an Irish one for The Last Tycoon, I guess, this last season by Amazon. And uh, mm. a couple other fun adventures like that, I suppose. <laughs> you said we could be a family. What are you talking about? You said... Wait! Please. I'm often disappointed by the minimal level of biography that Capcom can furnish their actors with for what are showpiece roles, especially when you consider the wealth and breadth of backstory that these characters do have that they're imbued with, not just before the game, but, but even afterwards. 
So I was wondering, was this a frustration that you shared or perhaps can appreciate from your personal experience? And for you as an actor, does this limited biography help or even hinder your portrayal of the role? That's really interesting. Um, I want to say I got like a one-page breakdown. Okay. I knew she had grown up in a lab and I knew she didn't have a family and she wanted one (laughs) and had some sort of powerful ability if she got mad. I didn't know what it was. They weren't entirely sure if she had an accent or not at that point in time. So to play with both options, I remember. Uh, You know what? I'd say it's such commonplace uh, for us in the the VO world and even just on camera acting in general too, uh, to not get a whole lot of backstory when you initially go in for an audition and having to kind of fill in the gaps with either just sort of instinct or some of your own experiences yourself. You know, what, what you bring to the table is often the best stuff anyway for, for acting. So I don't know if I saw it as a hindrance as so much as just kind of par for the course. So it didn't, it didn't throw me off by any means. I think I got a little bit more on her once right before we recorded, and I can kind of glean a little bit off the scenes. I would say quite a bit of acting requires great reading comprehension script analysis so being able to get stuff from hints so yeah i think i i think although it would have been wonderful to get more at the same point i think i had all i needed and the points that i i felt i needed a little bit more depth i could i had the director and capcom team there on hand to kind of pick their brains a little bit afterwards it's been fascinating to kind of read up more of the backstories i'm never quite sure what order they do it in i i know there's quite a bit of pre-production involved but I think some of it, too, they kind of fill in the gaps of what they they have as they go. (laughs) That's one of the things that we as players really enjoy is that while we're playing the game, we can pick up little files and letters and diaries and things that the characters leave around that furnish, you know, give us more information on the character. And we find out more about Evelyn's tragic upbringing, like you say, uh, being brought up in a lab. And um, yeah, that's one of the things that really connected me to the series. I think that that is amazing. The world building they put into it is is fascinating. You know, and as you mentioned, uh, Shinji, uh, he's not. I don't think he was directly involved in this game either. The, these two renditions of these games, but the fact that he, you know, had such a hand in building the original worlds is is still all over them. That's a point of interest that our listeners often ask: is what, if any, interaction you had with the Japanese developers themselves on set? I will say I'm never quite sure what uh, job titles everybody necessarily has beyond, oh, I know that's the director, and I know this guy is probably an executive producer of some sort because they all defer to him. (laughs) I'm not entirely sure of who played exactly which roles in the post-production and the (laughs) pre-production of this. But I do know the team was on hand, and they were communicating all the time about, you know, we have to remember this and this, and we're not sure yet which camera we're going to cut to here to make sure we cover our bases. They were definitely, you know, hands-on, which was pretty amazing. No, Evie, I'm not mad. Wait, what did you call me? I don't want to live at the lab anymore. I want a house, and I want you to be my mommy. Okay, Evie, I'll be your mommy. Just just come back with me, right now, okay? (laughs) Evie, wait! Paula, you've spoken warmly in interview about your own childhood, with the exception of the usual teenage warfare uh, we all have to battle. (laughs) So, uh, presuming there was nothing in your personal upbringing you were able to channel for that voice uh, and for such an insidious delivery, what references or experiences were available for you to draw upon? 
children in the horror genre are nothing new. We've seen lots of versions of really scary kids, right? And I think that the reason they're so scary and so terrifying to all of us is we all know from being kids and from seeing kids is they feel things so intensely and so purely, I guess, like one color. Like if they're mad, they're just furious. And if they're <laughs> happy, they're over the moon. You know, like everything is one color. It's, it's very yeah, rarely shades of gray. A, yeah. Yet, which makes them terrifying because if they are mad, they want to destroy you. <laughs> and even just seeing my toddler when he's mad, I'm like, mm. <laughs> yeah. Where do you get that rage from at such, at such no, an early you age? Yes. Burn it all down. Like, <laughs> I can't get the milk the way I want it. Destroy everything. Um, so <laughs> I get it. Like, I think there's just something innate once you get that, that you can just kind of tap into, okay, we're coloring with primary colors here. Let me just use bright red in this you know, or, uh So yeah, just tapping into the, the, yeah emotion that she's feeling and and getting there it wasn't i don't want to say it wasn't hard because that makes it sound breezy but but it was once you kind of get what works for you as a method once i found that for me it it clicked yeah yeah um but yeah i think there's just something because of that inherently scaring scary about children and i am aware of that (laughs) (laughs) that definitely very much comes across in your delivery particularly when you hear evelyn get slightly more frustrated with mia and and there's um one scene where mia is finally just loses her patience with evelyn is you know we're not a family we will never be a family and and i'm thinking no you don't you really don't want to anger this this child that goes back to the the strength in, in one of the lines you delivered just before then Hearing her say that when she she was delivering it, it was it was heartbreaking. So it just it stung so much that a uh, instinctual, I think, at that point, um, at, at for coming from a young mind, anyway. But I want to say we might have had to go back and done some uh, ADR on that particular one. I could be wrong, but I feel like that might have been one of the ones that really loved that one. We have to do ADR, okay? Um, so you had to recreate it in the booth. Okay. Um, you never know, you know, if a, a microphone gets hit, one little yes. sensor falls off and that take didn't work or whatever it is. Um, yeah, Katie was saying the frustration of delivering an, an Oscar performing standard <laughs> performance and only to then find out that one of the little tags has fallen off. <laughs> she definitely did that quite a bit. I I did not do any Oscar delivery, but it was, uh, but yes, on occasion you can be like, dang it, that was a good one. Yeah. But you know what? The funny thing is that you get to then given another world, I guess, in the magic of filmmaking and, and game making um, in the booth. And you can give them multiple different, and then whatever happens to work best, they can take the very best one and snip it in. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could do it in real life that way? We'll be together forever. You've now worked on both of Shinji Mikami's groundbreaking survival horror creations uh, as an actor for a tragic Resident Evil antagonist. And, of course, we discussed the face of equally tragic Myra Hansen. Facial capture. So I'm doing the emotions and the like, uh, the lip movements, so you're lip syncing, doing weird monster growls and things. I recorded that earlier this year, you know, in the, the spring and they already had a release date. They were like, we are racing the clock. This is coming out this fall. You're going to see it soon. Yeah, it was awesome to be a part of, especially with that quick a turnaround. Comparing and contrasting both productions, which aspects unique to each would you say did you enjoy the most and which one the least? <laughs> They're such different beasts. It's, it's yes. almost apples to oranges because I got to be on the set for Resident Evil stuff with other actors. Um, so I guess that, you know, I enjoyed the most. It's fantastic to work with a whole team and, and other actors. And then it's, it's, it's 
more complicated in some ways to do the just facial capture because everything else is already in place. You're just having to match someone else's performance as far as vocal. Yes. Because they already have her voice recorded. So you're doing exact lip syncs where if you're off by a fraction of a second, you have to do it again. So, you know, it takes quite a while to get every little line synced up perfectly. Um, and then you're providing the emotional life for it so that the facial expressions can be matched in the animation. So a totally different skill set in a weird way. Yeah. I enjoyed both and I'd love to do both again, definitely. I loved um, on the Resident Evil side and the fact that um, I guess conversely, <laughs> not having to work pe- with people so that, you know, if, if you mess up, no one's mad at you and no one else is messing <laughs> you up is also great. Um, so, you know, it's challenges on both sides and rewards on both. But um, I, I do feel, you know, being able to be the voice and the the motions and motion cap and everything for Evelyn, you, you feel more connected to a character than, than yes. just provide the facial capture. Um, so she's closer to my heart, but you know, they both get to grow into huge beasts and have big battles and, you know, involve goo of one type or another one, <laughs> one white, one black. So um, yeah, I mean, oddly similar, <laughs> but completely different. <laughs> uh, so, now, well, um, going back, it's funny, going back to the way that you, I don't want to say dismissed and put words into, into your mouth, but it was great to hear you distinguish, let's say, distinguish the films from the video games. So um, even more enjoyable to ask you this question and even more interested in the answer with, with you making that distinction. As we know, you're, you're not only an actor of multiple nominations and awards, but also a producer and director too. Are there any aspects of the Resident Evil or the Evil Within narratives that inspire you to produce a live-action version of those? Oh, that would be amazing. Um, I'm mulling it. I'm mulling it. You know, it probably uh, the tough thing about doing any sort of um, interpretation of an existing world um, or a live-action version, if it's only been animated or game, is or a book form, I guess, is that you have to come at it from a place of, of love and, and fandom yourself, I think, to really make it work. And I don't feel qualified enough to make those particular worlds. I'd have to really let myself dive into the rabbit holes further. Although it's an easy one to fall in love with. But I will say it's financially wouldn't be worth it just because I know that those two properties are held pretty tightly by the people who have them and they don't necessarily take kindly to monetizing fan stuff <laughs> so i might look for something where i could actually uh get access to the ip to, to do it correctly uh but those are those are just you know the actual producer paula hat of how could i actually make this work answers um on just the the fantasy dreaming of it oh my gosh it'd be amazing it'd be so fun it would be you know something that you could kickstarter the heck out of and also uh a world with as you mentioned so much breath and fans that you could could please if yeah. you did it right by That's honoring fun. the canon I, I think that's always something that's 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 important, and uh, I wish more people did it. Although I know when you're dealing with a lot of money, as as films and TV are, you're always going to have extra chiefs telling you what to do. Like, oh, let's just add monkeys or something. Um, so, <laughs> but I know why people deviate from canon, but I I am always thrilled when they do so less. Oh wow! Oh, there'll be so many fans in the Resident Evil series now, desperate to see uh, you get involved in something. Because um, <laughs> I mean, what's wonderful actually, Capcom as a company, they do allow this to happen, and there are many, many fan fictions of various different Resident Evil narratives online. And are they live action usually, or are they? They're not monetized. They must not have it because usually that's the line that they won't let you cross. Yeah, they're live action, but you're, you're quite right. They're then they're, they're not 
Yeah. Oh, I did a ton of fan fiction research when we initially did our, our um, fan trailer for ElfQuest. So I know which ones are friendly and which ones are not. And in general, they're, they're, none of them are if you're trying to make money off of their yeah. you know, intellectual property. But uh, a lot of them are if you're just doing promotion and sharing the love. Yeah. Although I love doing passion projects, they also have to kind of be able to be monetized at this point. Otherwise, I'm just paying a babysitter and not getting anything back out of it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, do you remember? Yes, Evelyn. I remember. Can we be a family like before? No, Evie. We can't be a family. We were never a family. We will never be a family. Then I don't need you anymore. <laughs> it's Halloween night and we're trick-or-treating in defiance of our adulthood, uh, very much channeling our inner child. Although, <laughs> I'm keeping an eye on your creepy inner child, Paula. I've, I've played Resident Evil. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Joking aside, though, you're certainly no stranger to the horror genre in its many forms. Aside from meeting your husband on the set of a horror production, what have been the other interesting and exhilarating experiences for you uh, as a... Can I call you this? As a scream queen? <laughs> Oh, I don't think I qualify as that. Although I do have some friends that definitely are. Although they, you know, that would be an awesome role to play too. I'm probably getting too old for queendom, I guess there. Um, do they have a cutoff at like 27 to kill you or something? You're not, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have been lucky enough to, to die a number of times, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Although I seem to die in like comedies and stuff too. So it's, eh. But yes, I would say it's tough to beat the one where I got to meet Charlie, meet my husband. Uh, I will say working in the horror genre is always so surprising to me and that the actual sets are so fun. They're always yeah. just full of laughter and jokesters and pranking and hilarity in general. And they're just an amazing summer camp-like atmosphere for the most part. So they have just been some of my favorite sets to work yeah. on compared to the, you know what you're putting on screen. And that's something that really came across in our previous two interviews with Sarah Coates and Katie O'Hagan. They both mentioned that it really felt like a family on set because unlike a lot of other Resident Evil games in the past where unfortunately these wonderful artists haven't had the opportunity to deliver their lines together and interact with each other, all very much being in booths, maybe in separate studios. But it's, it's great to hear that you guys did interact a lot more on the production of Resident Evil 7. We did, and it, I was so thankful for it. Like I said, it really raised the bar for me as soon as I saw them bringing their A game. I was like, oh, that better be really awesome here because, <laughs> yeah, step it up, Rhodes. Uh, but no, they're all so fantastic to work with. I've, I've loved working with Sarah in other projects, too, since then. So so she is just a gem, as is Katie. I love following on her adventures online as she travels the globe. And I think working with them made this, even before we knew what it was, made it made it just a joy every time. Definitely something I'll cherish, which is so funny because it literally is just those horrible, awful worlds that you'd hate to actually be living in for the most part, yet they're created with a lot of love and a lot of camaraderie uh, for the most part on horror sets in general. Katie was mentioning that very much the imagination, you know, when you're, when you're in a booth and like you say, you've, you've got the spandex on and... Uh, <laughs> all these things to take you out of the the situation you're very much relying on your imagination you know your connections with the other artists to you know throw yourself into that world so much i mean it's all you have like for the, the the i think the scene where they bring me in for the first time to the family and i'm kind of passed out and they're carrying me they were all all there that was the most most we all worked together in one scene and it was fascinating because you're looking around at this basically a uh you know a airline hangar of sorts or a big warehouse sort of with all the 
equipment in it, but it's basically a huge open space with, you know, tape on the floor to show you where the uh, walls are and things. <laughs> and the imagination and the, well, the ability for these people to deliver a performance that just drew us all in together. It was magical. It was fantastic to work with. Yeah. You're great. Yeah. And then you see it uh, play back on the screen and it was like, wow, that's amazing. It's totally what was playing in my head on so many levels. But uh, yeah, it was great. And as a player as well, we, we, we get to enjoy that because this is the first Resident Evil game in modern times. There was Resident Evil Survivor, but it's the first main title Resident Evil game that is in the first person. So Really? I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. I have to say, as someone who really disliked first person games and, and rarely played them and was very much loved Resident Evil, particularly because it was third person and, and you could see your character and then you had these sumptuous hand-drawn fixed yeah, you get to like, choose your elf, as it were. Exactly. But I think it, with Resident Evil 7, it actually aids that connection. You really throw yourself, obviously with the VR as well, but even without the VR, you're completely immersed in that world, making your lines even more uh, harrowing when we can hear them. <laughs> I'm thrilled. You know, what's funny is that the, the friends I do have that are gamers, I think just because they do know me in person and I, I kind of look like a cartoon, I guess, like I'm a tiny little redhead, right? <laughs> so it's funny because they were playing it and I guess they actually recognized my voice right away before I even told them it was me or anything. I and really they said it was oddly not scary because it was me. So every time they'd see her, they were like, Paula at first <laughs> until they about two scenes and they said they got drawn in and they were now terrified of me, I guess, in some <laughs> what I would call them. Yeah. So uh, I thought it was very interesting that I was able to win them over to fear, I guess, after a few scenes. <laughs> Ethan, it's okay. It's okay, it's me. I know you didn't mean to hurt me. Kill him, Mommy. But you shouldn't have done that! It fucking hurts! He doesn't want to be my daddy? Then he can die. Now it's Mommy's turn to kill you. I've never had one of those, like, you're discovered, immediate success overnight sort of things. I've always been yeah. the, like, one small rung of the ladder and the next one. And, yes. But I wouldn't trade it because I think this is one of those jobs and or life paths in which you just have to say there's no end game. You're not going to necessarily – if you're in it to get to point X, then good luck. But if you're in it because of the journey, then it's perfect. I wouldn't trade my journey or my path for another one. So, And I'm able to do what I love and, and have a life that I, I love doing. So I yeah. can't trade that. What was the production you were on where you met your husband? Oh, gosh. It's called Staunton Hill. And it's uh, George Romero's son, Cameron Romero's first film. It's I'm sure it's online and or on, I think it was on Showtime for a while and things. But it was a really fun script. It got a little bit changed, I think, in post. But it was still one of the greatest things to work on just in that I met Charlie and some other amazing friends on that. Without too many spoilers, he's, he's not someone that helps me out, for sure. <laughs> so, yes. He, yes. <laughs> okay, but, but I don't make it to any sequels in in that either. It was a pretty horrific. And the special effects team and makeup of Kevin Kirkpatrick, who is just phenomenal, and you know, with as he should have, has absolutely blown up since he's done all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Uh, I mean, literally almost everything you can think of that's like this is amazing special effects is probably Kevin Kirkpatrick. <laughs> You're gonna be one of us. And then maybe you'll play nicely. Hoping and wanting for you, the artist, to get as much biography as you, as you can. Um, but were, were you shown any concept art for Evelyn? 
Well, I, I got, I believe, two little images of her. Uh, one of the, on the exact same sheet of paper I got with her bio. So it was basically a, a breakdown of the character as well as a little, uh, I want to say maybe like a three-inch picture of her and then maybe okay. a slightly bigger picture, maybe like a one-inch of, of more of a zoomed-in head. But for the most part, it was just a, a little girl in a gray dress. They didn't have much detail or specific age yet. They were kind of looking between like 7 and 14, somewhere in there. And her hair was over her face, so they didn't have a whole lot of detail yet, which is funny because sometimes when you're doing mocap, you'll see um, a concept video yeah. where the team has made kind of in, in office, in the office, somebody's taken a camera and they've just been hiding behind desks or whatever <laughs> to create this scene. So usually the, the person playing <laughs> Evelyn, I want to say at least a time or two, it was a guy, like a, a full on adult guy playing it in their offices. So it yes. was both adorable and, and hilarious at the same time. And then you'd get the, you know, jump cuts of them screaming into the camera at the last second or something. And I was like, okay, got it. I totally know what you're going for. But yeah, I saw, I saw preliminary art. The next time I saw her was when we were actually doing ADR and it was slightly more advanced. So I'd see yeah. the animation of her at the top of the stairs uh, screaming. So I'd know. Oh. At least- I was going to ask if you got the opportunity, because obviously you're recording before production, but I just wondered if you got the opportunity to see any of the cutscenes maybe after the game or dur- during recording. Yeah, like the, the stuff they had kind of in place that they were looking to just fit timing-wise. I got to see some of that, which was exciting. And of course, after it came out, I got to see all sorts of fun playthroughs and things on online, watching people yeah. play. Have you actually had an opportunity to play the game yourself? Only briefly. I tried on the headset that a friend had just a little bit, and I, I'm way too much of a scaredy cat. It was like, cool, okay, I'm out. That looks amazing. <laughs> and very, very what I should be braver in, but I'm not. Um, quite surreal chasing yourself around as well. <laughs> uh, I don't even think I got to that scene. I think I was just in an early on walk around scene, and I was yes. already like, nope, 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 back out, back out. Um, <laughs> but I de- I've watched them online, the, uh, the the battles and things as well. So that was kind of fun to see because I, I knew there was a point where it kind of flashed between young Evelyn and old Evelyn only because they were like, oh, and here's where you're going to be old. And I was like, oh, do, do I need to be old? And they're like, no, we have another actor for that. Okay, cool. So <laughs> matching her parts of her performance, I think is she'd already recorded most of the stuff by the time I came on. Yeah. Now being a parent of a teenage child, I'm, I'm very sad don't get the opportunity to go trick-or-treating anymore. Um, that's that's one of the main disadvantages. But um, you would be very useful trick-or-treating because we could really use, you know, do with that voice in, in demanding sweets from people. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what that's funny is I always imagined um, – I go, I do, I go to Comic Cons and such uh, a bit here. Usually I'll have a panel or something. And I also, just as a fan, love to walk the floor a little bit and see it. But that would be a hoot to just dress up as her one day and walk around. <laughs> <laughs> but just with that the- voice. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to see the look on people's faces when, you know, you're demanding sweets in, in the voice of Evelyn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, very much on that subject, it is. It's Halloween night. <laughs> and I'm not passing up the opportunity to go turbo trick-or-treating with a child b-o-w so let's see who's behind this door hey guys don't you think you're a little bit too old to be trick-or-treating <laughs> and i would like to ask paula some questions instead considering my internet's finally working because those gremlins have finally stopped chewing on the freaking cords <laughs> yay hi hi it finally worked of course no i'm thrilled to have you join us oh thank you <laughs> This is so cool. We have like a, a wild global triangle going on in this call right now from LA to Pennsylvania to, to the UK. It's awesome. <laughs> it gets crazy sometimes, that's for sure. <laughs> 
All right, time for the question. Describe your perfect Halloween treat, and of course, your perfect Halloween trick. As Paula or even as Evelyn. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. Um, um, well, I do know Paula better. Maybe I'll go with her. <laughs> I will say that I have a a two year old and a and a three month old. But the two year old, we've been practicing trick or treating so that he kind <laughs> of has a grasp of what the idea is. Like he'll. Whenever we're also potty training, so I'm, I'm tying them together, which might come back to bite me later. But for now, <laughs> if successful, he gets to get his little pumpkin bag and he knocks on the door and I open oh. it and he says, trick or treat. And then he gets a candy. Um, <laughs> so this will be the first year that the two year old really gets to go trick or treating. And I think that is going to be kind of my treat is seeing him live sort of the fun of Halloween and just starting traditions with him. I'm really excited for that. We've been practicing. Uh, it's a hoot. He just knocks on the door and like gets a, a candy if he says trick or treat, which sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he just says candy, please. <laughs> um, uh, but okay, this is maybe awful of me, but I don't know if you guys have seen the Jimmy Kimmel um, thing where they tell the kids that they, the morning after Halloween, that they ate all their candy. That's horrendous. I couldn't. <laughs> I saw one. I and it, it was awful. They are, but they're awfully wonderful because I kind of want to do that too. I think he just woke up, but I kind of want to do that just because he's such a sweet, loving, forgiving kid that he's literally, I, I just know it. He's going to cry and say, it's okay, mama. Like he's just. Oh, well, that's what broke I mean, my heart. Not, it is, but it's also sort yeah. of hilarious. I don't know. It's fine. I'm awful. But he just got his <laughs> shots and he literally like cried for a minute and then goes, okay, all done shots. Bye-bye, nurse. Thank you, nurse. And she, she started tearing up. She's like, oh, he didn't he thanked me. <laughs> we might try that. May not be this year, but um, that might happen. I do have a bit of a prank dragon reputation on set, so we'll, we'll see if I come up with something better. <laughs> what made you want to be a demonic child? <laughs> Well, who's saying I'm not already one? Um, no, I probably the fact that I like to eat, um, and I'm an actor, so mostly we're willing to be most anything they'll cast us as. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, my voice kind of naturally being a uh, a fit for things like kids and or animals. I get a lot of kids, and and most of them are good guys or cute shows. So the opportunity to be somebody that maybe isn't always seen as perfect by others. I don't want to call her a villain because to Evie, she's not a villain to herself. Yeah, that was amazing. I definitely wanted to have that opportunity to to live in that skin for a little while. <laughs> you scared a lot of people with some of your lines. You know that. <laughs> but uh, but I'm thrilled. I'm glad they were scared. <laughs> Job done. Job done. Scared everybody. <laughs> I also voice things like the Monster High characters or the, the Barbie characters or Doc McStuffins characters. So, I mean, you know, it's, it evens out. We get to play make-believe for a living. I can't complain on any level. So it, it's fun. <laughs> did they give you much backstory about her? Did you know what her fate was and did you feel sorry for her? I didn't know what her ultimate fate would be, especially at least taking on the role. And I never go into a role without knowing the heart of the character, at least like like I mentioned before, nobody's the villain in their own story. We're all the, the heroes of our story, right? We're all doing what we think is right, even if somebody else thinks that's like the worst thing in the world to do, which I think sometimes in life comes in handy, realizing that people that you disagree with strongly think they're doing something for the right reasons, even if you don't agree. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, same with Evie. She's, she doesn't think she's evil. She doesn't think she's bad. She just wants love and uh, and to belong in a family so 
so nothing that I'm doing as that character is is wrong in my head. It's all just, you know, means to a very important end. But yeah, I did not know her fate. I think until after we'd been recording for quite a while, and we ended up doing the, the boss battle. And I was like, oh, dang it. I was like, wait, is this one of those characters like, sometimes dies if you happen to go down that route, or if I'm always going to die? Like, no. Yeah, to kill her. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's that one. And I'm like, dang it. All right. <laughs> but in hindsight, how awesome. It's great to be the kind of big bad-ish person. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any time or chance to interact with the other voice actors and at the workplace or random about? I did. And it was lovely. Um, we had, you know, lunches together as well as just a little downtime as we were all setting up for the, uh, for any particular scene. And a lot of times they'd schedule multiple things for the day. So if you weren't in that scene, you got to be off, off the stage um, and kind of chatting with the other people who weren't in that scene. So it was really a wonderful situation that you don't always get to have in, in mocap or especially in voiceover uh, where we got to mingle and got to know each other and everyone, um, get everybody involved in this thing, like Giselle and, and Sarah, as you mentioned, and as, and Katie, they were all fantastic. It was a really great camaraderie and a, a team that they put together that had great chemistry. So I'm, I'm super thankful for that. Yeah. And then of course, because of the magic of the internet, I've been able to, yeah, stocked them online since and or stay in touch. <laughs> so that's been fantastic. I bet you sent them creepy little t- messages from little Evie. Hi, guys. <laughs> I did joke with Giselle a bit about something. She, had, I don't even remember what the post was, but I definitely uh, posted something about asking her to be my mother or something again. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't know if anybody else got it, but her and I were in on the joke. Not that I want to like spell out how to stalk people, but we're actually all terribly easy to find and she's wonderful that's the wonderful thing about you know the social media is it just brings fans closer with you guys and 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 when you do have an artist like yourself and and sarah and katie who are just wonderful right you get very few weirdos but yes on occasion they can be like oh that's the worst thing of course it doesn't work unless we've got artists with just such generous warm open attitudes towards their fans like like yourself and and the other (laughs) artists that we've spoken to only the creepy ones the creepy ones should know that i'm super scary just like the character (laughs) I was about to say, she'll use the voice on you. Darn right. I'm going to go find my mommy now before that interfering grown-up Chris Redfield does another cameo. Is that Joe White in the mansion? (gasps) Happy Halloween. Stay away. Forest outside the mansion. Stay away. BSAA received intel as to the whereabouts of Umbrella's founder. I'd rather starve to death in here than be eaten by one of those undead monsters! The Overwatch missiles carrying the T-Virus in major cities across the United States. Come on, everyone! Our platoon is cut off! No survivors found! This is Carlos! If you succeeded in developing the world's most powerful biological weapon, what would you do? Discipline breeds unity. Unity breeds power. Here will become the place of Umbrella's demise.